0: Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series in the book of 1 John with part 1 of this message entitled, Christ, Our Propitiation. Preach Sunday morning, January fourteenth, 2001. 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ, our propitiation. And I know that is a new word, but we must study new word. Christ, our propitiation. St. John was teaching in his epistle, chapter 1 and verse 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One can look at such a teaching and say, Let us sin, and God will forgive our sin. John is opposed to such twisting of the truth of the gospel. For him, sinning is not normal Christian life. Once We could only sin. You remember that time. But now we are born of God. We are children of God. We have God's life in the soul of us. We have God's nature in us. We have God's spirit dwelling in us. To power us. And to guide us. We have also. The light of God's. Written word. So according to. Apostle John. The goal of Christian life. Is to live as. Jesus lived. The goal of Christian life. Is not. To commit a sin. Our goal is nothing but perfection. Be holy for I am holy. Be therefore perfect. Even as our heavenly father is perfect. And so a Christian is moving. Toward perfection. And we arrive at it then our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. However, if any Christian commits a sin, he is not to despair. We have an advocate in heaven, we are told, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we learn that his advocacy is totally effective because it is based on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done while he was on earth it is based on his atoning sacrifice in our behalf on the cross of Calvary it was based on propitiation the word Atoning sacrifice, in chapter 2 and verse 2, in the New International Version, is an interpretation and not translation. The Greek word is hilasmos, and the King James Version translates it correctly with one word, and that is propitiation and I'm very aware of the public school education and how we are dumbed down and all that so we have to learn this word propitiation and what is propitiation? what is this that we read about in verse 2 and also in chapter 4 verse 10 most people today do not know this word it comes to us From the ancient religious practice. We have a number of words that we need to know. That describes our salvation. One is redemption. And that comes to us from the world of commerce. Of buying and selling. The other word is justification. That comes to us from the world of law court. And this word propitiation comes from the ancient religious sacrifices. Religious world. Now the word to propitiate in Greek means to appease, to placate, to avert, to turn aside the wrath of an offended person. By means of a sacrifice. Four things are involved in this propitiation. First, of course, an offended deity. Second, of course, is an offending sinner. The third is the offense committed. And fourth element in this propitiation is the sacrifice that removes the offense and causes the offended person to be gracious to the one who offended him. Salvation in the Christian sense of the term requires one very definite type of sacrifice namely propitiation it is directed toward God to turn away his wrath revealed against our offense that he may be gracious to us the Bible speaks and especially in 1st John we are given two descriptions of God Two foresight in the nature of God. One is in chapter one, verse five, God is light. And the other is in chapter four, God is love. But first is God is light. That means God is truth, God is holy. And what is sin? Sin is transgression of God's law. Sin dishonors God. Sin offends him. Sin is against God's person, God's glory. The Bible clearly tells us the wrath of God is revealed against the sinner. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Wages of sin is death. So if anyone is to be saved, there has to be a propitiatory sacrifice. So propitiation has to do with a sacrifice offered to God to turn his wrath away from the sinner To a substitute. So that God may be gracious to the sinner. And forgive his sins. And that the sinner may be restored to God in fellowship. But for a century and a half. This idea of a wrathful God. A God who opposes sin. And a God who is against the sinner. Such an idea was not accepted. And is not accepted. By unbelieving theologians. They have rejected the conception. That God is light. God is holy. They choose the conception of God. As God is love. So they forget the idea that God is holy. They prefer the word God is love. The idea of an angry God, they say, is not Christian. It is an ancient pagan notion. They say, God of Christianity. Which is the highly evolved conception of religion and of God. The God of Christianity is always a God of love. A nice God. So they reject this word propitiation. To translate the Greek word hilasmos That appears in 1 John 2 verse 2 and chapter 4 verse 10. They use the word expiation, which has to do with the cancellation of sin, but it has nothing to do with sacrifice offered to God to turn away His wrath. Expiation means this that God has cancelled your sin, there is nothing to worry about, everything is all right. Now, one scholar by name William Neal writes this way Those who hold to the fire and brimstone school of theology, who revel in ideas such as that Christ was made a sacrifice to a peace and angry God, or that the cross was a legal transaction in which an innocent victim was made to pay the penalty for the crimes of others, a propitiation of a stern God, find no support in Paul. These notions came into Christian theology by way of the legalistic minds of the medieval churchmen. And then William Neal says they are not biblical Christianity. So my question is this, if this is not propitiation if the sacrifice is not offered to God to turn away his wrath That he may be gracious to us. And forgive us our sins. And restore us into his fellowship. If the liberals are right. That God is love. And he is love all the time. Then what is the need for even expiation? It is doing nothing to God. Why not God? Being nice, being loved, forgive our sins almost automatically as you sin. Well, the only problem with these theologians is this that they are wrong, <laughs> they are not scriptural. Because when you study the Bible, the Old Testament alone uses this idea of wrath about 580 times. Now this morning we read Psalm 78. It is full of wrath of God and the anger of God and the punishment of God. You read the book of Genesis about this flood. There was such violence on the earth and God destroyed all people except eight. We read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We read about the plagues he brought against the Egyptians. And all these ideas we read in the Bible from Genesis to Malachi. It's full of sin therefore full of Wrath of God revealed against sin because that's his nature. But not only in the Old Testament, we can come to the New Testament from beginning to end. From Matthew to Revelation, you see the whole idea of the wrath of God pervading it. Uh, Turn with me, for instance, John chapter 3. And verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Or Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And there we read this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Didn't William Neal say he finds no support in Paul? And yet he believes, I hope so, that St. Paul wrote a book of Romans. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6 put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of God is coming I believe that it is written by Saint Paul or turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Or turn to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Let me read to you from verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, For our God is a consuming fire. The truth is, God is holy. You cannot willy-nilly reject that revelation of the perfection of God in favor of another perfection called love. God has a settled opposition to all evil. He is not arbitrary, capricious, vacillating. He has a settled opposition to all evil. It is the nature of God to oppose evil. It is his character. So God is holy. Apostle says God is light in him. There is no darkness. God is holy. So he opposes evil and must punish all evil. Psalm 7 verse 11 says he is angry at sinner every day. And the Bible says all have sinned, born sinners practicing sin. However, it is true that God is also love. Therefore, God plans to save sinners and not punish them. That's also biblical revelation. But, but what about the statement, the soul that sinneth, it must die. That the wages of sin is death. And that is true. And so, what God did was, God provides a suitable substitute to be punished as sinners' representative and sinners' substitute. And of course, that substitute is God incarnate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we are told in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, that is sacrifice, propitiatory sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sins. Absolutely no forgiveness of sins. And so we read in Leviticus 17 and verse 11. This very important verse. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you. To make atonement for yourselves. On the altar. And then it says it is the blood. That makes atonement. For one's life. Atonement. That's an interesting Anglo-Saxon word. Which means. Bringing to. Parties who are enemies into unity through a sacrifice. And so there is this provision given by God. Sacrifice. The blood. And you remember the story in Exodus chapter 11 and 12. In chapter 11 and verse 13, uh, God provides a way of salvation for his people. God is coming. God is holy. God opposes sin. God must punish sin. But he said you can take a lamb and kill it and apply the blood upon the doorpost and lintel. And in the midnight as he goes by, when he sees the blood, he will pass over that house and he will let you live. You see, that is divine provision. However, in Hebrews 10, verse 4, we are given this revelation, and that is, it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what do we do? The blood atonement The blood of propitiatory sacrifices of the Old Testament. We must understand the blood of the bulls and goats. All the blood that we read about in the Old Testament. It's a bloody religion, the Old Testament. That's why Billy Neal and others don't like it. And a lot of people, vast majority of people don't like it. Because of the blood. So, what is it? Well, all that blood sacrifice in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the perfect substitute, the Son of God, who became man. An apostle describes him as Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It is his blood that atones our sins. It is his sacrifice that will propitiate God the Father through his perfect and once for all sacrifice on the cross. Now this idea is further explained if we study the tabernacle and particularly the Ark of the Covenant in your mind. Just let's go back and take a look at it. There is the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed in the most holy place, in the tabernacle, in the throne room of God. And there was the Ark, which contained particularly the law, the Ten Commandments, which we have broken. The two stone tablets were kept in the Ark. This gold-covered wooden box also had a gold cover, a thick gold cover that covered this box. And it is called Hilasterion, Hebrews 9 and verse 5, mercy seat. There were statues of cherubim on both sides both ends of this mercy seat. These cherubim facing each other with wings stretched upward and forward meeting over the ark. God was thought to be dwelling above the ark. And so we must look upon this Ark in the Holy of Holies as a picture of divine judgment against broken law, against sin. But what is the role of this mercy seat, this hilasterion? Once a year, the high priest, only the high priest, and only once a year, and a particularly the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. The high priest enters the Holy of Holies following strictly divine procedures. He comes into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sin offerings for his sins and for the sins of Israel. And he dips his hand into The bowl of blood. And he sprinkles the blood. Upon this cover. Called mercy seat. Made of gold. And then also in front of it. He sprinkles the blood. Now we ask the question. What is the teaching of this? The teaching is this. The holy God now looks from above the mercy seat. And when he looks from above the mercy seat, what does he see? The blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. He sees the blood sprinkled upon the golden cover of the ark. Of course, this provision was made by him. He himself gave this provision this is blood of propitiatory sacrifice. Propitiation means what? A sacrifice offered to God to turn away his wrath from us to a substitute that he may be gracious to us and forgive us our sins and restore us to fellowship with him. So, when God looks, he sees the blood of the innocent substitute sprinkled upon the mercy seat so the sin of man is fully punished in the substitute God's justice is satisfied so now he is propitiated and now he is gracious toward us sinners in his love he forgives totally our sin We do not die. The innocent substitute did die. And so we live. He is punished and we are not punished. And that's why we read in Exodus 11 and verse 13. When I see the blood. I will pass over you. That you will be safe. And you will be saved the same idea now. Thirdly we see in the prayer of the publican. Remember the prayer of the publican and Pharisee. Recorded in Luke chapter 18 these two people went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee, the self-righteous, the arrogant, the self-sufficient, he prayed to himself and he said how righteous he was. And then of course there was the publican He stood afar and he will not even lift his eyes toward heaven he beat upon his breast and what did he say he prayed ho theos that's the first word of his prayer ho theos god ho theos and what is the second word he lost thirty more Well, that has something to do with propitiation. You see, the Greek word is hilasmos, propitiation. Hilasterion, propitiatory. Hilaskomai to propitiate. All right. So it sounds something that has to do with propitiation, and it is hilastetimoi, God. That's the first word. What is the second word? be propitiated with reference to me. And then what is the last word? Ho amatalos, the sinner. And we spoke about this before. Now take a look at that prayer. It's a very interesting prayer in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. What's the first word? God. True God, in other words. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The only true God. The living God. And he knows this God to be holy. And also this God to be love, And so, he has knowledge of God. He is coming to God with understanding. He knows God to be holy. As well as God of love, otherwise, there is no point in praying to a God who is not love. Oh, Theos. Let me tell you one thing. When you know God, you see, then you will know yourself. That's the first thing. It is not that know thyself. Yes, we must know ourselves, but we cannot know ourselves unless we know God. In His light, we see light. So, he knows God as holy and as loved and as true and as living and as infinite and as personal God. The God of the covenant. God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The last word is what? Sinner. You see there is holy God. Picture him, holy God. And then there is holy God on top of where? The ark. He sees that. Holy God. And then here stands the sinner. The sinner. And in between is this this wonderful prayer. Be propitiated with reference to me. You see that? You see the Pharisee. He didn't see that. He didn't know who he was. He had no consciousness of true God. Therefore he didn't have any consciousness of who he was. When you really come to know God, then you will know yourself a sinner. And then you will discover there is a way to be saved. So he prays. This is the prayer he lost, meaning, treat me, O God, on the basis. You see, God is thought to be dwelling above the ark. O God, treat me on the basis of the blood that is sprinkled on the top of the mercy seat. That's a pretty intelligent prayer, isn't it? He treat me on the basis of the blood of a substitute sprinkled upon the mercy seat. Turn your wrath away from me because of this sprinkled blood and be gracious to me and forgive my sins. That's the idea. So you can now visualize there is God There is the cross and underneath the sinner who prays. Treat me on the basis of the propitiation which turns your wrath away from me to the substitute and cause you to be gracious to me. And we are told it was pretty good prayer. It was pretty effectual prayer. What happened to him? He went home in a state of justification. That is what the Greek text tells us. In other words, God accepted his prayer on the basis of propitiatory sacrifice. On the basis of blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. This man was justified and went home totally forgiven of all his sins. And we must conclude. It is not written, but we can understand and draw this conclusion. The Pharisee went home, what? Condemned. He was in a state of condemnation. He went home justified. He went home whose sins in its totality forgiven. So there is a holy God... (laughs) And in the middle there is the blood sprinkled. And below we stand. As a sinner who trusts. Therefore praying to God. O oh God have mercy upon me. A sinner. And so you notice then. In chapter 1 verse 7. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and notice and the blood of Jesus His son cleanses us from all our sins turn with me to the book of Romans and there this idea in chapter 3 is clearly stated and all these three words are found there justification redemption propitiation chapter 3 24, 25 and 26 and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement hilasterion, propitiation through faith in his blood you see through faith in his blood this propitiation becomes effectual In our justification, in our salvation, through blood. That is, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So, there is a holy God and a loving God. And there is the cross upon which... God provided substitute died. And we stand where? Under the cross. And exercise faith in this Jesus Christ. Who is both propitiator and propitiation. Let me ask you this. I just read to you the biblical theology. Which is what? God is holy. Therefore he necessarily opposes always sin. Because he is light, he is not light and what? Darkness. He must oppose sin, he must judge sin, he must punish the sin. That is the truth. We read, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I read to you from Hebrews 12 verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And what else? Our God is a consuming fire. And then we read in this book, Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 22. It's an amazing statement there. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. I mean, we have to ask the question. God opposes sin. That's his nature. He must punish every sin. He is a consuming fire. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then we are told what? Because of the Lord's great love, we are what? Not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here it is that God is a consuming fire. He must oppose, destroy, burn up, send to hell every sinner. It is a necessity because of his nature. And then we are told we are not consumed. What do you think the reason is? Well, there is the cross coming between. And God has given us faith to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Isn't that wonderful? We are propitiated through this sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's an adequate sacrifice because it is God provided sacrifice. No man can be offered up as a sacrifice for another because every man is a sinner. And even if you can come up with a sinless man we are not assured that God will accept his propitiation. Whether God will accept his substitution for another. You see, God doesn't have to accept that. But even if he accepts the death of another sinless man, because he is finite, he cannot atone the infinite sin of a sinner because his sin against God is infinite. There is no way. And then can you imagine to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world? But God provided it. That's why there has to be the son coming and becoming man. God, man, righteous, infinite God became man. Adequate and qualified sacrifice. Provided by God and accepted by God. And what do we pray? God, true God, holy God, God of love, God of the covenant, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God personal, God infinite, God almighty, God who hates wickedness. Have mercy upon me because of the blood that is shed upon the mercy seat. And now we pray, have mercy upon me on the basis of Christ's death in my behalf on the cross. Have mercy upon me. And when that prayer is prayed, what happens? You go home, how? Justified. In a state of justification, all your sins have been instantly, what? Forgiven. God is gracious. And so, It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hand of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. And then we are told. What it be, Because of his great love. We are what? Not consumed. We live. Heavenly Father have mercy upon us. Help us to have a true knowledge of God. As holy. As light. As well as, as love. Our God is infinite personal God. Holy God. Loving God. In amen. Jesus name. Amen.